Welcome to Beyond the Art, where creativity knows no bounds and innovation takes center stage. Join us on a captivating journey through the realms of the Native American art world, exploring the untold stories, inspirations, and the sheer brilliance that fuels the world of indigenous artistry. Today we have Jeremy Dennis, a member of the Shinnecock Nation Tribe of Indians. Welcome, Jeremy. Oh, thank you for uh, having me. Absolutely. Well, why don't we just get right off to the start? And what initially inspired you to delve, delve into photography and art? Uh, was there a particular moment or experience that ignited this passion in yours? Um, well, all throughout um, my youth, up until today, I've always had an um, interest I always thought I had um, maybe some skills in the arts. So leading up to being a photographer, I did um, illustration, uh, charcoal, uh, pencil drawing, um, eventually oil, uh, printmaking and sculpture. And then uh, finally in a a senior year of um, undergrad in college, I finally Mm -hmm. did a 35 millimeter in darkroom. Um, I remember I went to a um, very artsy high school, but I was so um, afraid of the camera. It was the, um, I think it was like a four by five or eight by 10 and you had the hood and everything. So right. I was so uh, scared of using it that I failed <laughs> my first photo <laughs> class, but eventually just out of um, completing my requirements for college, um, I took a photo class in the dark room, um, really bad at print printing photos so I went on to become a digital photographer and that's what I continue to do today but I do want to acknowledge my mother her name's uh, Denise Silva Dennis she also um, of course before me went through the studio art education she wanted to also be an artist and so having a a parent as an artist who's uh, encouraging also kind of allows it um, or (laughs) it kind of permits you to pursue that path much easier. Right. You have the support and infrastructure behind you and people to push you along the way. Mm-hmm. How, how does your heritage influence and shape your artistic vision? Um, well, I'm from uh, Shinnecock Nation. We're in Southampton, New York, um, in what's known as the Hamptons today. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think a lot of what influences my work is what we have here on the Shinnecock territory each year. I believe in um, 2023, this was our 83rd uh, annual Labor Day weekend powwow in a row um, since the 1940s. And so for me, this is just a wonderful time of the year. Ours is the largest on the East Coast. um, And it's just a huge uh, gathering of nations in a place that otherwise uh, remains in the margins, doesn't really get attention. Our stories don't really get told. And yet for four days out of the year, it's just this overwhelming wave of support, recognition, celebration. And so a lot of the work that I do as an artist tries to, uh, (laughs) I don't know what the best word or way to describe it, but trying to carry on the spirit of powwow all year long. So trying Mm -hmm. to figure out like, how do we create, create and maintain that connection between the outside world and our community, just because we're, we have about 600 tribal members on territory, maybe about 1,800 total who are descendants throughout the country or around the world. And so it is a very small community, but I think we have such an amazing story. And uh, as an artist, there's just so many directions that you can go in 
from our um, whaling um, ancestry and history um, to our resilience, like how we've been able to stay here for over 10,000 years on our mm -hmm. um, Aboriginal territory and just everything that um, our living um, relatives are doing today. So it's uh, really amazing. Um, it's an honor as a artist to um, sometimes go out in the world and represent Shinnecock, but it is in a um, <laughs> unofficial capacity, of course. So what, when you start creating something and you have a vision in your mind, is there anything in particular that you're trying to um, relay uh, or is there a story or a subject matter? I know a lot of your photography has a, addresses conflicts and situations, but is there something that you're trying to continue to continue that theme and tell the audience? Um, well, another uh, family member I'm really um, inspired by is my older sister, Kelly Dennis. She's actually um, a, an attorney, but she went through the same like artsy high school and everything as me. Mm -hmm. So she does painting as a side um, thing. <laughs> so um, when she was in college and um, moved on in her academic career, she always emphasized um, the need and the importance of Indigenous people taking up space, making ourselves known, um, getting what we need um, to survive by mm -hmm. any means necessary. So um, the first ever work that I created uh, as the artist that I include in my portfolio today is around Native American creation stories. And so this was such a um, important series for me. Um, I don't think I <laughs> realized the importance as I was first making it, but growing up on a very small Indian reservation, you're pretty much um, um, rendered to um, believe that you're supposed to be within these boundaries that you don't really right, belong anywhere right. else. And so when you look at creation stories, these are unfortunately dismissed as fairy tales and myths and legends, but really these explain where we come from. Um, mm -hmm. We as indigenous people have an undeniable connection um, throughout our landscape um, beyond the bounds of the reservation. And so for me, it's such an important thing to celebrate and share. And it is just something that um, is a reality that we face. There's a lot of cousins, they um, are born on Shinnecock. They spend their whole lives on Shinnecock, not really going out into the world. And so by looking at these stories, you're able to um, sometimes pinpoint exactly where our ancestors once had these amazing experiences. Correct. And um, just try to imagine, like, how can we once again take part in maybe ceremonies or other type of things out, out in the world. And so that is um, something that connects with storytelling, one of mm -hmm. our old, oldest art forms, and the land. And I think in more uh, recent years, the <laughs> maybe the thesis behind my work is all around um, just like the land back movement in many different indirect ways. So it's all about um, reflecting on growing up in the Hamptons where real estate and development are the biggest industries right. and how we live in a disparity where we as indigenous people want to preserve as much as possible and regain and uh, re-steward the land. And so it's all about, um, in many ways, just looking at the land and how does that um, remind people of Shinnecock people. So one of the projects that I've um, recently started working on is called the uh, sacredness of hills 
and it's based on one of our local sacred sites called Sugarloaf Hill. Um, it's one of uh, seven in the area, these different hilltops that have um, ceremonial and uh, sacred importance because these hilltops were traditionally our cemeteries. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, when you live in a um, real estate uh, <laughs> economy, um, right. people want to build directly on top without any sensitivity. Right. And so we were lucky back in 2021 to um work with Roger Waters of Pink Floyd, of all people. <laughs> he contributed over $5 million, and we finally purchased and preserved the site after uh, 30 years. But really, the art that I'm trying to do is all about um, getting the public to have a common understanding of these important sites and how, like when you're driving in your car, um, you're looking to a, a peak or a distinct hill, and hopefully people will continue to understand that these sites are important to Shinnecock and they need to be uh, preserved and not um, built upon. Correct. It's all about land back in many different ways. <laughs> it's amazing. Can you share with your insights into your creative process and how do you approach conceptualizing and executing a project or series? Uh, oh, sure. I'm always um, influenced by artists who pull from text in order to create an image. So mm-hmm. it's all about um, finding a really important idea or a really important story that has been overlooked and needs to be told and creating an image for that. And so usually it's a uh, pinnacle moment or like a moment mm-hmm. of transformation that you're trying to depict. And um, even though you can't immediately get that from the viewing of the image, it's um, done in a compelling way that hopefully the viewer will Um, spend time with it, maybe do their own research, or the image is accompanied by a wall text. And so it's um, really just about like finding (laughs) texts, being inspired by that, and then creating sketches and working with volunteers to stage this uh, imagery. Mm -hmm. And so um, one of my uh, 2016 projects, it's called On This Site, Native Long Island. And this is really the um, <laughs> like the emphasis of this text into imagery practice. And so it's looking at Long Island, New York's um, from Brooklyn to Montauk, mm-hmm. all of the site-specific Native history. And so, of course, it starts with research. Then I try to pinpoint where these place uh, where these histories took place, and then go out and travel and do landscape photography. And then I package each one of these on a digital format. So it's an interactive map. And then really it's up to the public to, at their own pace, um, go through this content. So hopefully starting at home, looking at their own backyard, and then kind of getting this impression that there's just so much information that we've never been taught. And hopefully it'll be free and accessible for future generations. So what inspires and motivates you in creating the, the series and artwork that you do? Um, well, a lot of it's just you know, growing up uh, indigenous or growing up Shinnecock, just the idea that um, I think our history is so amazing, but sometimes when you ask the outside world, um, the, they're, the very fact that we've been here for so long becomes mm-hmm. a reason for people to dismiss us because like, especially when we look at social media and we look at the news nowadays, um, it's all about being up to date, like what's the latest thing? How is it relevant? And like sometimes catastrophes happen and 
something mm-hmm. else happens and then you move on after a day or a week. And so when you talk about histories that took place <laughs> 500 years ago or 3000 years ago, it's very hard to get people's attention. And so the work that I try to do um, tries to find that link between two communities. And so part of the motivation behind that is just because in the Hamptons, there's so much um, segregation that you can actually just point on the map and um, pick out people's race, um, economic situations. And that's also true when it comes to social circles. Mm-hmm. So it's all about um, we as <laughs> modest um, means uh, trying to be an example of how you can build community, even though we're next to like the top one percenters, people right. who don't even want us to be here and um, have been taking over. Mm-hmm. So you talk about storytelling. How do you see the intersection of traditional storytelling and the contemporary art in your work? Uh, well, the thing that I, um, as time went on, working on depicting creation stories, I kind of um, got the understanding or the um, permission to kind of uh, see them as being dynamic. Mm-hmm. And so the storytelling is all about um, honoring the people who originally told them. I think we all understand that when you tell a story, you kind of keep that person and memory alive. And so the other thing about that is like every time someone tells it, it's always different. And then the audience determines different elements as well. And so you don't really have to um, stay within (laughs) the exact details of the original text or the original way that you're being told the story. And so um, by that example alone, these no longer become like something very old or something in the past. They just become um, content and material for whenever mm-hmm. you want to tell them. And so I think that that's a really amazing way to look at creation stories. The other thing that I try to do is, um, especially working with history, is try to blur the lines between oral stories and um, historic narratives, like things written down. Right. So I think that they're both legitimate, um, they're both human experiences, and um, I, I try to... <laughs> um, maybe help people with their imagination to see both of them as being legit. In your opinion, what role does art play in advocating for indigenous rights and promoting cultural understanding? Um, well, when it comes to indigenous art, I think it's just so amazing. Like the fact that it exists at all, the fact that we're able to have um, the lifestyle to move on from simply surviving and being resilient. Correct to being able to just celebrate our culture. And so um, receiving support, that's always an amazing thing. And I think no matter what, um, Indigenous art, because of that reason, is always political. There's always a message. There's always um, many different layers of meaning. And so I always think of artists in the role of trying to uh, persuade the public to learn something new, to have a new um, appreciation for Indigenous art, and Mm -hmm. our contributions and really just the idea of um, acknowledging our continued existence through uh, cultural production. So not just things in museums, things that are uh, living as well. Has there been challenges or misconceptions you face as an indigenous artist? Um, I think the biggest thing for me, (laughs) just because I look a lot at, um, as social justice work and criticizing like local policies and 
um, our neighbors here in the Hamptons. And so commercial success as an artist is always a difficult thing in, in that case. Mm. So I, I would say most of my work is uh, sustained through um, like local and nationwide museums who don't mm-hmm. have the need to um, sell your work in order to make it or label it successful. A lot of times museums are working in the forefront of culture and looking for new um, ideas to push society. And so that's where I've found uh, my success for the most part. But at the same time, <laughs> there's only like a finite amount of museums and people are opening and doing uh, gallery shows all the time. And especially in New York, um, like if you want to work with like the Met or the Guggenheim and all these other things, you need to uh, prove yourself over decades sometimes. Mm-hmm. True. So, um, you really can't um, <laughs> be successful as an indigenous artist if you don't um, subscribe to like making copies of something that's always been sellable or doing something that um, one thing I, I noticed growing up on the East end of Long Island is everyone loves um, abstract expressionism or um, abstract sculpture and visual art. And so as someone who does uh, representational work, <laughs> I think sometimes the audience doesn't know where to start or they think it's not for them or they, they think it's um, just for Shinnecock audiences. Right. And so there is a discomfort in both acquiring this work because people are asking themselves, like, should I be the one to own it? And then the other is um, wondering if they're the ones being criticized. <laughs> and then the other is simply the idea that uh, for many viewers, this is the first they're even learning about Shinnecock. And so to even get into the message of the work, I think that's also... Um, a big ask. Well, tell us a little bit about some of your pieces and creations. And was there any piece that surprised you at the response it received? And on the reverse of that, was there any piece that you're surprised of the lack of response it got? Oh, sure. Um, Well, my uh, favorite uh, series that I hope to work on soon is called uh, Rise. It's R-I-S-E. And it's all about uh, indigenous reoccupation of ancestral land. So it it involves a lot of um, self-portraiture in traditional regalia and working with different uh, Caucasian volunteers to stage. um, (laughs) Well, you do have to just see it yourself, but I'm going to try to describe it. It's kind of like um, zombie apocalyptic um, imagery. Got it. Replacing the undead with indigenous figures or self-portraiture. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's all about, um, in pop culture, it's like the undead coming back to haunt the living. But for us, it's um, a supposed vanished race um, who never really disappeared. And so sometimes the imagery is just that. It's showing like indigenous people rising up and coming together. Mm-hmm. Others are based on the fear of Native Americans. It's this idea of like we we in popular imagination think that natives are no longer here or they are here. They're in Oklahoma or the Southwest and definitely not New York state. And so sometimes when people are confronted by (laughs) our existence, it becomes a threat to um, like their land, their homes, their operations. Mm -hmm. And I think they should be (laughs) afraid in that way. And it so should be rattled a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the next stage to maybe get New York State 
at least in my context to relocate people but uh, i think the art is just about that fact of like mm-hmm. who's on the land how's the land contested and um just constantly like poking people with that message <laughs> so the uh imagery that from that uh, series that i was surprised by its success is um myself i'm in this very luxurious uh, hamptons pool and i worked with a, a friend and volunteer who is in like a bathrobe or in a, a nightgown type thing and they're just holding a, um, um, a cup of coffee on the edge of the pool mm-hmm. and it's a piece titled um, i could stand here all night and so it's this um, <laughs> kind of like this eternal battle of two people who claim the same land and it asks the viewer like who really belongs and so it's a little bit uncomfortable because w- with us in the Hamptons being such a small population, pretty much anyone who sees this image is kind of uh, being pointed at and asked right. about their context. And your projects often uh, involve community engagement or you work with others in collaboration. How important is collaboration and community involvement in your creative process? Oh, it's was um, yeah, the utmost important um, just because uh, portraiture is what I started out with even before being a photographer. Mm-hmm. I was doing people's illustrations in pencil, and that was really enjoyable. But um, I was uh, such a shy person growing up that portraiture became a way to like break out of the shell and make friends. And so, so many of the friends that I have today probably wouldn't have formed if not for that uh, practice. Um, the other thing I think a lot about is um, the Teen Vogue article. I think it's titled uh, Invisibility is a Modern Form of Racism Against Native Americans. And it came up with different statistics um, from 2015 about how staggering it is. Um, I forget which state it is, but something like two-thirds of Americans in that state didn't know a single Native American or that Native Hmm. Americans still existed. And so by doing this um, collaborative work between communities... (laughs) You're slowly, maybe like a decimal at a time, uh, undoing that fact. Mm-hmm. And so even though the work antagonizes white audiences, it also shows and builds some um, friendships and connections. In your process in creating your series, how long does that take you to start from setup, uh, creation, uh, and, and, and actually creating the, uh, the art itself? Uh, a lot of the work that I do is um, so modest that I just have, for the most part, my camera on a tripod. I have maybe one or two off-camera lights, and a lot of it's uh, just guerrilla style. So, like, set it up, <laughs> you're done in 30 minutes. Um, I know most photographers, like, the proper way is to get permits, <laughs> like, block off the sidewalk and everything. Right. But um, I like that style because usually I plan it out so much that, you you can just like go out and do it real quick before anyone even notices or understands what's going on. <laughs> so do you have a plethora of ideas that you want to uh, start creating and having, I guess, in a, in a binder in the back of your file cabinet in your head that you want to, um, yeah? Yeah, definitely. For um, all of my projects on my um, website, those are um, kind of like endless projects with so many ideas. I think the reason I have so many ideas is I pull a lot from um, art history, just like compositions and things that 
um, would make sense in my work. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason is because I look a lot at um, like biblical storytelling and how um, artists were so instrumental during like the Renaissance and when um, the Catholic Church was much um, more influential. And so it's a lot of um, thinking about the disruption and mm-hmm. the centuries of colonization and how artists were freely creating their work. We, um, meanwhile, indigenous people in North America are being decimated. And so I think a lot about what what would our art form have looked like or what stories what we have been telling, if not for that uh, colonization. And so I think a lot about the um, 16th, uh, 17th and 18th century paintings in Europe and sometimes in America and how those could be remixed into <laughs> indigenous style. Mm-hmm. Um, the other reason I do that is just because, like I was mentioning before, we're so far removed from popular imagination. And by um, remixing popular art, um, you're able to like enter yourself into canon and create conversations between like master artists or people who are already in museums. And it makes you wonder, like, why isn't this art also in a museum? Um, very similar. <laughs> mm-hmm. How do you balance authenticity with storytelling in your compositions? Uh, I think the biggest thing is, um, like, it's happening lesser and lesser as um, I'm showing my work. Mm-hmm. But I think the authenticity comes with um, recognizing like where these texts and stories come from. So I um, always try to emphasize having some sort of explanation or like where you can read up more if mm-hmm. you're uh, curious about the image. And so one thing that um, <laughs> sometimes happens when you're showing in a gallery is it's just the image. There's like no name, there's no title, there's no story. Like it's even sometimes hard to find like the paperwork to give you an explanation. Right. And so that's one of the uh, dangers with especially native uh, imagery because people come with um, like if it's an older person, maybe they come with stories from summer camp or from their um, boy scouts and they impose a narrative onto the work. Um, Whereas like everything that I work on, there's like texts and texts and texts of things that should be changing your mind and should be educating you. And so um, I had a show recently in Lower Manhattan where that was the case. I have um, some of my works at the uh, MTA Arts in Brooklyn, and those also (laughs) are just the images. And um, I I do hope in the future that I'm just able to um, maintain authenticity through, like saying, what are the tribal affiliations of these stories? Like, who was the one who told the story? Like, what is the entirety of it? And so Mm -hmm. that's um, something I'm working on. You talked about uh, doing it guerrilla style. Do you conceptualize before you actually go out and start shooting? Do you have like a storyboard or something written down? Or you just, like you said, go at it and (laughs) what it becomes is what it becomes. Oh, yeah. I just have like um, hundreds of ideas and I have a a digital notebook. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when I'm working with a volunteer, um, sometimes we just meet outside. Sometimes we meet at their private residence. And it's kind of a um, happenstance of like if they have like a a piano or if they have like a pool or if they have like a kitchen island or something like that, 
I'm able to search those keywords in my um, idea book and right. basically um, kind of give them a list of images that we could potentially work on and collaborate on. And in that way, it becomes a collaborative a collaborative process rather than mm-hmm. just like asking them to step in as almost like props. It's a lot of um, consent and permission. And that's important too, because um, so much of the images <laughs> are like so vulnerable. Sometimes you're playing someone else, um, someone you, you probably wouldn't associate with. And so I think there's a lot of um, like theatricality and uh, convincing that goes into it. Do you think a lot of the compositions and pieces that you've created have given a better understanding to the historical or cultural narrative of the Shinnecock or indigenous people to the non-native? Oh, I think so. Uh, definitely. Um, I have a, a series called um, Nothing Happened Here, and um, hopefully people will look it up, but it's these um, um, a white individuals who have arrows impaled in their bodies and they're not in a physical pain. It's Mm -hmm. supposed to represent this like mental anguish of carrying um, the shared burden of our um, country's history. It's the fact that colonization has happened, genocide has happened, and there's never been any meaning, meaningful reconciliation or land Mm -hmm. back. And so it's something that's supposed to represent like a to-do list or something that's supposed to reverse this pain. And so with this um, body of work, um, sometimes I do this with volunteers. And when we wrap up and pack up the gear, <laughs> they start to um, acknowledge or confess that they understand like their involvement in this subject matter and how it's um, is almost like uncomfortable because like you, you don't want to deal with this. Like the whole point of right. this, nothing happened to your project is not dealing with these traumatic memories and histories. And so it's almost as if it's activating something that leaves such an impression. So it's like a cycle of <laughs> experiences. Right. So you mentioned some of the places that you had a current uh, exhibitions. Are you represented anywhere nationally? And what's on the forefront for you exhibiting new pieces? Um, well, for the, um, longest time, I would even say since, uh, 2020, a lot of the work that I've been doing is like editing older projects that I haven't had time to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have any current representation, but that might be in the works with the gallery in lower Manhattan, that's uh, Acon gallery. It's A-I-C-O-N. But, um, I think we're just going to, um, experiment um, see if my work <laughs> has viability. Um, I think up to this point, commercially, I've not really had a lot of sales or like big gallery show sales. And so that's one thing we're just going to sample. Um, we have like a 12-month, a um, um, I guess, agreement. Mm-hmm. Something that we'll try out. But uh, for the other work that I'm doing, I do have a planned uh, residency for uh, U-Cross, it's in uh, Wyoming for next year. So I'll mm-hmm. see what um, that space looks like and work on one of my projects. And then um, another one, Citavella in Italy, that might be in uh, late fall of next year as well. So it's, um, yeah, sometimes it's um, a little bit uh, stressful to have so many ideas and not be working <laughs> on them. 
Hey, but the future is bright for you, Jeremy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just need more time. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what pieces are you working on currently? Um, in my portfolio, um, I think at the top is the Rise Project. Mm-hmm. Because um, like when I go to the Metropolitan, I go to the painting section, and um, I'm just like constantly getting reference material for that. And that's something that um, is an interesting project because it's just the simple question of um, when will indigenous people get their land back? And so I'm hoping that um, even though this is like my number one passion project, just because of the imagery and like the absurdity and humor of it all, I hope one day that this project will become irrelevant and we'll just move on from (laughs) um, having this disagreement about land stewardship. And so that's on the forefront. And a lot of the work that I do um, is interconnected. And so I mentioned the On the Site project from 2016. Uh, That's something that I received major support uh, from a national nonprofit uh, called Running Strong for American Indian Youth. And so that's something that kind of informs all of my other projects because as artists, we always wonder like what's on the to-do list or what's next or like what should I be working on? But this is a project that has like a 10,000 year scope in history. It's 120 miles of width of landscape to work with. And then there's um, 13 indigenous communities that both are uh, included historically and today. And so it's all about uh, (laughs) how do you encapsulate that? Um, Maybe it branches off into even more projects. Um, That's what has already happened. And Mm -hmm. so um, something that's constantly generating things to do. What advice would you offer to emerging indigenous artists navigating the art world and seeking to share their cultural narratives through their work? Um, Well, a lot of the work that I've um, done in the more photojournalism realm is um, thanks to community involvement, um, sharing the stories of other tribal members and other relatives. And so my advice is to um, try to engage as much as possible in your tribal community, if possible, and uh, um, pay attention to the messages, the aspirations, the needs of the community, because every community has a need. And as Mm -hmm. artists, we're supposed to be responding to that and expressing that. And through our art, um, honor and preserve those messages. And uh, I try to do that as much as possible. And um, I think because of that, sometimes support comes in. Sometimes people who have resources are able to transfer them into the community. And so um, I think being an Indigenous artist is such a privilege because um, here at Shinnecock, <laughs> we have things like, um, like coastal erosion. Like we should all be mm-hmm. focusing on that. Um, some of our homes are falling apart and have mold and other issues. So we could all be like carpenters. (laughs) That's probably more important than art. And then just basic needs of like utilities and food. And so being an artist, despite all this, you kind of have to um, stay in tune with everything else. And that keeps you modest. Is there a large pool of Shinnecock artists? Is there a community, art community locally for you? Oh, yeah, definitely. There's so many different uh, Shinnecock artists working in many different mediums. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I try to convince people more and more to 
say that they're an artist, like make a social media and website for themselves. Um, just because sometimes people who drum or people who dance or um, sing, they don't really see themselves as um, artists, even though this is these are among our oldest art forms. Correct. So, right. um, I, I envy <laughs> those and their skills um, just because photography is something new. It's like mm-hmm. a, um, it's not something that's traditional and it's been used against us in many different ways. So one thing that's exciting for next year is um, as part of Ma's House here on Shinnecock, this is the um, art nonprofit that I founded. Um, we have funding for a all-inclusive uh, Shinnecock art show. And so we'll try to reach out to as many different people who want to contribute a piece and hopefully create a booklet and um, kind of create a timestamp of what Shinnecock art looks like now. Fantastic. Because, um, it is always sad when, especially people in the Hamptons or Southampton, our closest town, they say like, I like your art. Are there any other uh, Shinnecock artists? And <laughs> like, it should be much easier to find other right. tribal members. Tell us about your nonprofit that you started. Um, well, Ma's House, the uh, full name is Ma's House and BIPOC Art Studio. We um, took a old family home, my uh, grandparents' home built in the 1960s, and turned it into a communal art space today. And so this is a home that I grew up in in the 1990s. But over time, it just became so um, decayed. The utilities mm-hmm. didn't work. There were holes in walls. And so um, the house sat vacant for five years before we started. And so it was just without heat, no electricity, raccoons were living inside. <laughs> but um, when the pandemic struck, we finally had time to focus and try to save it. And so we ended up doing a GoFundMe campaign that raised enough to make it livable after refurbishing. And um, really because of that, we had over 400 people contribute. Wow. And so yeah, any other way that wouldn't have been possible. And so instead of just turning it into my private home and studio, we now operate as an um, arts nonprofit. And so we have a uh, communal library. You can see some of the <laughs> books behind right. me. Um, over uh, 500 of the books are Native American content. And beyond that, we have a residency program for artists of color. We have uh, free weekly workshops. We have uh, two month at a time exhibits in the front of the house. And so these are all um, just samples of some of the projects that we do in uh, such a small <laughs> um, re-outfitted uh, house. And so there's a lot of different reasons we started Ma's house, but one of the reasons is um, our tribal museum it's also been closed for about six years at this point. And so there's just no way for like schools to engage with Shinnecock or for the general mm-hmm. public to know that we still have um, like a, a, a voice or um, like cultural objects and we continue making art. And so we hope that one day that museum will also be open and we'll have like a ecosystem of art and culture and um, eventually tourism, jobs and many other things. Fantastic. Well, what else is on the horizon for you, Jeremy? Um, you a lot going on there. <laughs> a lot of um, projects and things in the works, but I'm hoping to make it to the um, Venice Biennale to uh, uh, Jeffrey Gibson's representing the United States. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Place to be. So hopefully we'll all be there and celebrate. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I'm hoping to be there as well. Um, 
Well, is there anything else you'd like to share or promote um, and let our audience know about you and your art? I would say um, it currently, if um, audiences want to see my art, the uh, MTA show at Brooklyn is up until February of next year. And um, Ma's house as well has some of my art on view throughout the house. So we're open by appointment here um, in the Hamptons, about mm-hmm. two hours east of New York City. So those are the main things for now. <laughs> well, Jeremy, it's been a pleasure to have you on your sh- on our show. And uh, I'm grateful for your time with us today. Oh, well, thank you for uh, speaking with me today and um, have a good rest of your day. <laughs> Much success to you. Thank you, sir. Thank you for embarking on this artistic journey with us. Keep exploring, keep creating. Until we meet again, let your imagination soar beyond the art. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on your preferred podcast platform.